0: So, I wanted to kind of share with y'all, and uh, as a preacher, I get to tell a lot of stories. And one of the things that I get to share with y'all, y'all get to know about my life. And I have five kids, um, and we're in the season of, and a lot of y'all who have already been through this, you can laugh at me. Those of you who haven't been through that, you can just laugh at me too. Um, but uh, I've just had an 18-year-old graduate from high school, and he is in the Army. He is, uh, we just got our first couple of letters this week. He's at boot camp at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri and uh, his feet are killing him, Um, he's getting no sleep, the air condition doesn't work, Um, he has to eat within eight minutes, and he is hating life a little bit, but he's telling about the cool things he gets to do, like jump off a 200-foot tower and climb a 30-foot rope, if that sounds fun, and have people yell at you. He said, send this stuff, but don't send this stuff or I'll get yelled at. More, you know. So uh, I'm thankful for all of those of you who have asked about him and are praying for him. I appreciate that very much. So I want to I share this morning about another milestone that I passed this week. So my oldest daughter, Abigail, and she's in here and she's going to be horrified, but here you go. So she uh, was supposed to get her driver's license this week on Thursday. School starts on Friday. Makes sense. Um, she actually turned 16 back in February, but we made her take driver's ed and get a lot of reps in there. You know what I'm talking about? And, um <laughs> So we were supposed to go Thursday, but Thursday, um, she's telling me, and I kind of, you know how it is, it's chaotic when you have kids, and you're like, I thought you were going to take her, I thought you were going to take her, and all that kind of stuff, so anyway, um, she's going Thursday, she goes, I'm supposed to get my driver's test tomorrow, I said, great, is it me or mom, I think it's you, but um, I'm missing my ADAP, what's an ADAP? Well, it's an alcohol and drug awareness program certificate that you take when you're in the ninth grade. And you cannot in Georgia get your driver's license unless you have this because it's got to show that you understand that you know, doing that stuff and driving is, is very you know, obviously destructive and can kill people. you got to have that. So in the ninth grade you get this certificate and you're not supposed to lose it. You're supposed to file it somewhere safely so that you do not lose it so you will have it when you go to get your driver's license. Well, guess what? We couldn't find it anywhere in the house. And it was a lot of, I thought you put it away. You're the one that's supposed to be responsible. Anyway, we didn't have it. So the conversation to um, Thursday morning is we have to call, um, you know, call the, what is it called? The, uh, The driver's place. What is it called? Yes, the DMV. So we have to call the DMV, and I hear Abby on the phone going, is it possible for me to get my driver's test without the ADAP? And you can hear, absolutely not, you know. (laughs) Well, what if I come take my test and I just bring you a copy of it later? Absolutely not. It is impossible. You cannot take it without that. So now... It's orientation, as you all know, this week. So Abby has to go to orientation. And she told me Thursday, well, that teacher said, if you lose it, don't you dare come back to me and ask for it in a year or so because I will not give it to you. (laughs) So she had to go to Northgate and face the music. And she walks in there, and what do you think he says? Let me guess why you're here today. You lost the ADAP, you know, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. you know, and I'm sure it was my fault or her mother's, of course. Um, but anyway, he was gracious and merciful and gave her another copy, and so we went Friday. Of course, it was first day of school, so I had to check her out of school, go to the DMV, and she got to take her driver's test, and she passed. And y'all, she made 100%. And I'm going, what? 100%? How did you do that? So, but to humble Abby just a little bit, if you know her, you can ask her what happened before she even got out of the parking lot with her new license. I'll just let you ask her about that, okay? But to be fair, to be fair, I'm talking about, you can imagine the conversations about how irresponsible for you to lose your ADAP. Of course, I didn't have any clue where it was. Um, we get there and I find out, she goes, oh, they need a copy of our, of our insurance. And I go, it's in the car. I went out the car and get it and guess what? It's expired, you're exactly right. <laughs> And I'm going, oh, now he's irresponsible. And I go, well, I can fix it because we can fix everything with this. And so I get a, I get a copy of it. I don't know how that happened. But uh, I, I did get a copy. And they said, oh, that's not good enough. You have to have a hard copy. So we had to wait for the insurance man to fax it over. So anyway, so just a little window into my life. But I bring that up because all of us can relate to the fact that there's been a time in your life somewhere where there was something you had to have and it was not possible to get to what you wanted without having something. Is that not true? We've all had those situations because some of y'all were nodding along when we go, oh yeah, I remember that. But there's been a situation somewhere in life where we've had to go to somebody and go, I know I'm supposed to have this or I know I'm supposed to do that. but is there any possible way we can do it without that? And you know the answer's no, but you ask it anyway, hoping there will be some semblance of grace and mercy like Abby's teacher, and maybe they'll, they'll let you off. But in the, in the case of actually having that, she did take the class. She just needed proof. And she could, could not get that license without that ADAP, and so she had to have it. So today we're going to talk about something that was not going to happen. It was impossible for this to happen without this certain thing to go forward, and we're going to learn about that this morning. So for the last few weeks, if you've been here, I've been doing a series called If... And basically, we've been asking this question, if God could fix one thing in my life right now, in the season that I'm in in my life, if he could fix one thing right now, what would it be? And, and I've joked and said, a lot of you go, oh, there's a bliss that he could fix for me. But if there was just one thing in the season that you're in in your life right now, what would it be that you would say, God, if you could just fix this, things would be so much better for me? And so as we've thought about that on our own, we go to the Gospels and we look at Jesus' life and we've looked at a lot of different passages, a lot of different situations, encounters that Jesus had where that if was asked. And we looked at an encounter where a leper who had leprosy and he said, if you are willing, Jesus, you can heal me. And we found that Jesus was compassionate. He goes, I know about leprosy. I know you're an outcast, but I am willing. And he healed him. We talked about a, a Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman who, the Jews and Samaritan, there's this hatred there between. Uh, those two groups of people. And Jesus walks up in the middle of the afternoon and has this encounter with a Samaritan woman and he's asking her for a drink. And she can't believe, number one, as a Jewish man, he's even talking to her, much less asking her for a drink of water. And Jesus says, if you really knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. Living water that if you drink it, you will never be thirsty again. And they have this amazing Encounter together, and Jesus tells her that I am the Messiah that the whole world is looking for. And then we had another situation where we looked at a group that Jesus is talking to, and he's saying, If you really want to be my disciple, if you really want to follow me, you have to hold to the teachings and the things that I'm teaching. Not necessarily all these laws and, and, and laws on top of laws that the religious leaders are talking about, not that those aren't important, but if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free from legalism. You'll have a true relationship with God. And then we talked another week about uh, Mary and Martha, who were two sisters and had a brother uh, named Lazarus, and Jesus was very close to them. And when Jesus was uh, traveling all about teaching and preaching and healing people, He went to their house a lot just to find a, a, a spot to rest and get a good meal. And they were very close. And while Jesus is out, they get word to him that the brother is dying, and please come because we know you can heal him. And Jesus waits two more days, and he dies. And so Mary runs out On when Jesus does finally come and goes, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we talked about that where Jesus is hurt. This is the part in the Bible where we see a very human side of Jesus where he actually weeps at people's unbelief that they don't really grasp this. And he reminds Mary and everybody that hears, I am the resurrection and the life. Don't you understand that, Mary? Yes, I know that will all happen in the end. He's like, no, I'm not talking about the end. I'm talking about now, in the present, in the future, always. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Last Supper, where Jesus is with us uh, celebrating the Passover meal, which is a very historical festival um, and holiday in the life of the Jewish people. And at that time he sits down and he gets on his knees and he wraps a towel around him and he washes all his disciples' feet. And we can't quite grasp how big of a deal that was But for That's like the president showing up this morning and washing my feet for me. Or he's out there washing my car during the service for me. That would never happen. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to see what I'm doing. And the whole world's going to know you're my disciples. The whole world's going to see what love is if you will love one another. That's when they go, those must be Jesus' disciples, because they love one another. So today we're going to look at another if encounter, and today we're going to look at Matthew's Gospel, where we're going to see that Jesus has just finished this Last Supper with His disciples. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and He is... You can't, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. And He's washed His disciples' feet, and He's told them what He wants them to do, and He's looking at them, and their eyes are kind of glazed over because they're going... He's saying, can, can you look at somebody and know that they're not following you? Have you ever had that? Like, I'm telling you, it's like with your kids all the time, right? You know? You're listening to me, but it's not competing. And Jesus is telling them all that. He's been telling them for literally months now that I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested by the religious leaders, and I'm going to go before the, the Sanhedrin, and they're going to put me on a cross, and they're going, okay, uh, yeah, but you're God. Yeah, but you're the Savior. We've seen you heal people. We've seen you walk on water. That's not going to happen to you. You'll figure out a way to overcome that. That's not really him. So he's telling them all this and they're realizing it's getting ready to happen, but they're just not grasping it. And so Jesus says, we're going to go out to pray. So they leave this time where they've remembered the Passover. They remember God's face. We know this new institution that he's instituted called the Lord's Supper that we're going to practice a little bit later in the service. We're going to remember. And he says, now we're going to go out and pray. And this is where we're going to Pick it up in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. It should be on the screen for us. Great. Okay, and if you want to read along in your Bible or your personal advice, it's fine. So then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, along with Him, and He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Now, this may or may not be a familiar passage to you, but Matthew is writing this because he was a part of this that night. He's writing his account of what happened. And in his, in his account here, we can see the intensity in his prayer, in Jesus' prayer, about what is taking place. Jesus tells that Jesus fell down. And a lot of times in the Gospels, we see when Jesus is praying, he's praying and he's looking up to heaven and he's had his hands up and he's talking to God directly like that. But in this particular time, Jesus falls down on the ground face first and is praying to God with this intensity. And it shows Jesus realizes and he says, Lord, if there's any way, if there's any possible way this cup can be taken from me, please take it from me. And this cup he's talking about, we understand is that he's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be beaten severely. He knows not only the beatings and physical torture that He's going to take, not only before He goes to the cross, but what that must feel like to have nails go in His hand and to have people spit on you, to have the people that you thought just a few days earlier were saying, Hosanna, you're the Son of God, you're the Savior, the one that's coming that's come into the world, Son of David. All those same people are going to say, crucify Him. If He won't get us out from under the government of Rome, then we'll crucify Him. We want a leader not a Savior, and little did they realize, like we don't realize sometimes, we need a Savior as well. So he's saying, God, I don't want this to happen. And this has to be hard for him from an emotional level. Now, this is y'all, this is where I have a hard time grasping that Jesus was completely human, but at the same time, he was completely God as well. Is that hard to understand and grasp? It is for me. But he really did. It's not like he was going, yeah, it's going to be okay tomorrow because I'm God and I'm not going to feel those nails going in. I'm like, ah, that doesn't even hurt. He knew it was going to, he had the same physical feeling that all of us do. He had already experienced hurt. He had already experienced rejection like all of us do. The scripture tells us that Jesus, he he felt everything that we did. He went through all the temptations we did in life. Everything that we've experienced, he experienced, yet he was without what? without sin. And I can't even get my head around that. How could you experience all the hurt and not lash out at somebody during all that time, Jesus, and become unhinged at some point like we do? But He wasn't. So He knows this is going to happen and He's probably going, I don't want to have to do that. I know for the 33 years I've been living, it's leading up to this, but now that day's coming tomorrow and man, I don't want to go. God, is there any way we can do it another way? All this bloody physical torture? Does it have to be that way? And so he's asking God to take that from him. But, he says, in the middle of that prayer, not my will, but your will. You know what I want. You know I'm scared. You know I don't want to go through with this. But bigger than that is your will, God, that has to take place. Now this is something that... And I don't know if you all have had conversations with friends or family member or people who maybe aren't believers yet and they have these questions like, you know, I don't understand that whole... Why did, why did all that bloody stuff have to happen to Jesus? Why, if God's a good God, why couldn't He just say, hey, just wipe everybody's slate clean and everybody's forgiven and everybody's going to be in heaven and everything will be fine. Why don't we just make it simple like that? There's, there's a, a nugget of simplicity and, and, and that sounds pretty good. But God's going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You don't understand how serious sin is, do you? You have no idea how sin separates and alienates and hurts and drives people away. And if all I do is just say, oh, all's forgiven, don't worry about it, do you think we would take that serious? Do you think we'd really be sorry for our sins and think, oh, okay, I'll do better, you know, just wipe my slate clean. But when you think about my sin... Needs to be taken care of to restore me back to my Creator through death of someone else. Does that get your attention? It gets my attention. There's no other way except that man goes to the cross and has nails put in his hands and his feet and he, sit, and he stays there for six long hours and bleeds out. That's how you're going to save me. That gets my attention. And it's been getting people's attention throughout history. Most of us are sitting here today because it got our attention. Is that not true? Sin is that serious, and God says, There's no other way, but I'm going to be the one that takes that. My only son's going to be the one that takes that, not you. Does that get your attention? That really gets my attention. So that's why Jesus says, I don't want to go through with that. It's going to be brutal. But restoring all of my creation back to me is worth that. And so for God, for Jesus to be able to pray that with that intensity and with that laser beam focus that He still, as much as I'm not wanting to do this, I understand the bigger picture, I just go, what an amazing Savior we have. That's unbelievable to think about that. The psychological anxiety that He was going through before even the physical. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I've never experienced that in my life, but I've been around some people that have, and some of you sitting here today have experienced that. You've experienced something so horrific in your life, whether it was a a breakup of a relationship, or the death of a loved one, or something. I don't know what it is, but you know that your heart felt like it was going to burst, and you felt so anxious and hurt that you thought you were going to die. Is that not true? There's some of you that have experienced that before. And so for a minute you're going, Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what he's going to have to do tomorrow, and he does not want to have to go through it. This is an intense sorrow, but what does Jesus do? He takes it to his Father. He prays honestly, without losing focus, and he recognizes that his Father's will is the most important thing. And the fact that he prays for this three times tells you how much he realizes how serious it is. The possibility that can be taken away shows the intensity of his desire. God, is there some other way this can happen? But instead of being delivered from death, God delivers Him through death. And do y'all realize that's true for us too? God does not deliver us from death because are we all going to die? Yes, we are. But God delivers us through death because that death is not the end. And so what Jesus is saying and what God did in His unbelievable plan to restore all of humanity back to Him, it says, I'm not only going to forgive your sin, take care of the relationship... But I don't want to just say, okay, you're forgiven and walk away. No, I want there to be an eternal relationship after I've forgiven you. And I just I can't get my head around that. Why would God want to have a relationship with me after He knows everything that I've done? But He does. How awesome is that news? God wants a relationship with you. Not just, okay, you're forgiven, and just get out of my hair and I want to see you again. No, I want you to be my child forever. And I'm going to die, and I'm going to go through that, and your sin is forgiven, and you have eternity in a relationship with me. There's nothing better in the world, y'all. Nothing. And that's the good news of the gospel, and Jesus realizes that's what has to take place. Now, I don't know about y'all, and I, I said this at the first service, and I hesitate to tell you as a preacher, but I'll be honest. A lot of times when I pray, my prayers are about me. And what I want. And this is how I pray. God, this is what my will wants right now. Okay? This is what I want. And I want this to happen. And i tell God what I want to happen and how it should happen. And please bless that God. Do y'all pray like that? Probably not. But we do that, don't we? We say, God, I want this to happen. Bless my will. And he's going, what? That was the other way. So i am being honest with you. There's times I get in. Sometimes I kind of, in retrospect, I go, man, that was a pretty selfish prayer. Probably not going to answer that one. And there's nothing wrong with being honest, but I'd be honest, there's times where I don't really say, but God, your will, not mine. Now some of y'all may do that, and God bless you if you do, and that's good, and that's what we're talking about. Jesus did that all the time. He knew, but he said, but overarching is God's will. That's what I want to happen, and that's what he says here, and that's amazing. Philip Yancey, a lot of y'all probably read some of his books over here, years. amazing author, has some great insight. He said this in his book called Prayer. If prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around two of the same themes. One is, why doesn't God act the way we want God to? And the other is, why I don't act the way God wants me to? And prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. How great is that statement? I want God to do something, that's how I pray, but on the other hand, I I, I want God to help me do what I'm supposed to do. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul to the Roman church said this, he goes, God, I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. I know they're wrong, I know I shouldn't do them, but I keep finding myself doing those things. And the things I don't want to do, God, I keep finding myself doing those. What in the world is wrong with me? Who's going to save me from this? And then Paul goes, thanks be to Jesus Christ who saves me from that. He finally figured it out. He was a legalist to the core. He thought he could do it. But he was so relieved after dropping those chains of legalism and trying to do it himself. And he says, I've been saved. God saves me from that because I can't be perfect. And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. None of us can earn it. None of us can earn it. That's why Jesus had to go. And that's exactly why Jesus goes to the Father and why we should too and say, God, He wants us to tell us exactly what we're thinking. I think that's healthy. And God's okay with that. He might go selfish, 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 selfish. But He's still going to listen to you. He goes, I know where you are in your life. I know why you're saying that. But I want you to grow. I don't want to leave you where you are. But you need to say overarching and understand. Because sometimes that with our kids, I have to say that. Abby getting 16. So when am I getting my car? You know, it's like, Okay, there's a bigger picture here doesn't always happen in that timing. So you have to remember, God, but your will, overarching, I understand. But sometimes we don't. And why don't we do that? Well, part of it has to be, is this, y'all, is that um, we conform to the world. That's why we're not worried about God's will. We conform to the world. We allow the, the world to conform us into their, th- into, their, into their view of the world. And we don't even care about God's will. We care about, oh, we're so worried about what everybody's doing. As soon as we get out of here, we're going to check and make sure we didn't miss anything. We try to conform to what everybody's doing. And it's interesting because Paul also tells us in one of his earlier letters in the New Testament, he reminds us that um, another letter to the Romans, he says, Do not conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Stop conforming to the world. My will doesn't make sense to you as long as you're conforming with everything. And I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to say this. God has put this on my heart this morning to say this to middle schoolers and high schoolers here today. My heart breaks for you. The epidemic of suicide that I hear about is unbelievable. Is that not, does that not break all of our hearts? But you need to listen to what I just read to you from God's Word. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You started school this week, and you were worried about... My kids do it too, I get it. But you worry so much about what everybody thinks, that you're caught up and you're listening to all these lies. And I'm telling you, they are lies of Satan that are telling you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not cool enough. And you listen to this over and over, and you never stop. When I was in school, I listened to it at school, but when I went home, it was done. I didn't have to deal with it. But you never have to stop, because you're listening to this... All the time. You lay it there and you're trying to sleep and it wakes you up in your sleep and you hear it and you go, oh my gosh, what did I miss? Oh no. Don't listen to that, y'all. I'm not saying this is a valuable tool that God has given us. He's using it all over the world to get the gospel message out. But I'm pleading with you middle schoolers and high schoolers to listen that you are a child of God. You are made in His image. You are perfect the way you are because, not because you're perfect, but because Jesus Christ died for you just where you are he's not waiting for you to get it cleaned up he's waiting for you to accept who you are believe your identity in christ you need to hear that now i'm going to give you a tool right now i don't know where if gary abbott is in here today but he gave me this tool and you can roll your eyes and think i'm stupid but i love it it's an app and it's called shut up devil i'm not kidding Look it up. Look it up. Not just kids, but I have it. Gary has it. We meet together a lot for lunch. And it is a whole thing that we deal with personally. And you click on the app, and you click on I've got it right here. And you click on anxiety, and it's got a bunch of scriptures that you can read and, and, and hear what God says about that. So get it. But I'm saying that to y'all because I love you. I'm not trying to condemn you. But my My heart breaks. For you to go to school every day and, and, and believe that stuff that's not true and not believe that God is doing something in your life and He's going to continue to work through you as a middle schooler or a high schooler. And I know it's awkward. I get that. But believe who you really are and put that thing down sometimes and listen to God's Word. Alright, back to our sermon. I just feel like I need to say that. So, so Jesus is, is looking at this overarching thing that's happening to him. And he gets up from this intense prayer with God and he, he goes over, and this has got to be hurtful. He's already, in the, in the time before he goes to pray, he's heard his disciples arguing about who was the greatest. He already knows that one of his 12 closest disciples that he's invested his life in for the last three years has run out and is going to betray him. And he knows that the, the soldiers are on their way to arrest them. He knows that. That's got to be going in his mind. What happened with Judas? I know it's God's will that this was going to happen, but why did you just betray me? That's got to hurt. So he's got all this hurt and knowing what he's got to face tomorrow. And he goes to check on them and they're asleep. Wow, what a way to make your friend feel better about what he's going through tomorrow. And that just shows y'all that he, they don't really get what he's getting ready to do. Would you fall asleep? If I told, you know, if your mom or your dad, if you're a kid or, or, or if you're a kid, and you're my, if somebody says, hey, I'm dying tomorrow, will you just kind of hang out and talk with me overnight? and He's pouring their heart out, and you look over, and they're asleep. You're going, wow, that must have been... Did you not hear me? So Jesus goes in. Now, last week, James preached to y'all, and I heard he did a great job, and he talked about when Jesus was on the boat and fell asleep. Isn't that what we talked about last week, if you were here? Okay? So, Jesus, a few weeks ago, or whatever, in his life... He's on a trip with the disciples, and there's a storm going on, and Jesus is sleeping all through it. Have you ever slept through a storm? And somebody the next morning goes, did you wake up? I woke up like ten times. I was like, no, I didn't hear anything. And you're like jealous. Like, what? You slept through that. But they're waking Jesus up. He goes, Jesus, there's a storm. We're going to die. And Jesus finally wakes up and goes, what? And he goes, oh, it's a storm. What are you talking about? You're going to die. Stop. Be still. And the storm stops. He's going, "What, what was that all about? And he talks about you of little faith. I can handle this. I can do this. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it ironic right now? When this is a life and death situation for Jesus, and they should be awake, they should be concerned, they should be all frantic. They're not. He goes back, and what are they doing? They're sleeping. And what's even more interesting about that is in Mark's Gospel, he records one of the stories that Jesus has just told very shortly before all this happens. And it says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And you know when he woke them up the third time, they're like, "Oh, we're blowing it. And they didn't quite understand but at least they were positioned where they could see God's will unfold, even though they didn't understand it clearly. They would not think Him getting arrested and Him dying on the cross was going to do that, but it happened. And listen, I want to remind you of something else. You can't walk out of here today and go, alright, I'm going to start doing better tomorrow, and I'm going to start saying every prayer, and, and may this be your will, God, and I'm going to be thinking... You can't do it on your own. You can't. And the, the, the proof of this is the disciples... They weren't able to do it. God was doing something in them through all this experience. You're going to understand my will, but you can't do it always perfect. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. And they were failures at it until they finally saw the resurrected Lord and they received the Holy Spirit. And then it started to gel with them. didn't mean they were perfect, but they finally started understanding. So let that encourage you today. Let that humble you today to start praying and living in that way. God, what is my will in this situation? How should I say this to that person? What choice should I make at work? What choice should I make at school? What, how should I treat this person? Lord, what is your will in this situation? Before you say something, go, well, Lord, what's your will? I think that's important. Help give me the wisdom to discern between the, between the real crisis in life and what's not really a crisis. We need God's wisdom in that, don't we? We fly off the handle at things that don't really matter. And He's saying, know what really matters matter know that the holy spirit does live in me and you will help me with this over the years i've prayed this with my kids um at night when when i when i said their prayers with them and it was this very simple thing that i stole from another preacher that i heard years ago but i loved it said lord give me the wisdom to know the right thing and lord give me the courage to do the right thing is that not a great prayer Lord, I want to know, I need the wisdom to know what the right thing to do is, but it's not enough to know it, I need the courage to do it. Because when I get out from my soft bed tomorrow and pray into you with my dad or my mom or whatever, I've got to go out and face a situation where I know the right thing to do, but I don't have the courage to do it. And I believe, y'all, when Jesus is praying to His Father that night, He's going, I don't want to go to the cross tomorrow, but I know it's the right thing, but give me the courage to do it. And God did, didn't He? He went to that cross. And I believe the same God that empowered Jesus to do that will empower you to have the courage to do things. And God is calling you to say, what is it? So today, what is it that God wants to do in your life that's His will that maybe you're not listening to? It's different for everybody. But you need to be listening to what God wants to do. What is His will in your life? Maybe it's something at work. Hey, tomorrow I want you to go to that guy at the water cooler. I I can't stand that guy. I know that's why I'm telling you to go to that guy in the water cooler. (laughs) Go sit with that kid at the table by themselves at school. Yeah, but all my friends will make fun of me if I do that. I know that's exactly why I'm telling you to go sit with that kid. I want you to have the courage to let your friends make fun of you and then later go, wow, he did it anyway, she did it anyway. Why did they do that? And then all of a sudden you're doing God's will in an amazing way. And you're going to hear a little bit later today from Christine Barber who's going to talk about things that are going on in England that are God's will that are amazing because she, at some point in her life, said, God, what is your will for me to do? Go to England, what? And she's following that, and it's great to hear what's going on there. But Jesus knew what the right thing to do because He was so close to His Father. And on that particular night, He had the courage and asked God for it to go forward. But here's the thing, y'all. His courage His courage was motivated for His love for us. And that's what our motivation should be to do His will. The God that would die for me. The God that loves me that much. I want to do His will because of that. Not because I'm going to get in trouble and He's going to be mad at me. Do y'all like doing things for people like that? They're going to be mad at you? That's fun, isn't it? But when you know you're doing it for somebody because they have shown an unbelievable amount of love for you, you can't wait to do something else for them because then you know that they love you anyway. So this morning, I know there's a family that's coming forward to join this church. I know there's two young men that are coming to name Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be baptized into Him. And I hope there's others. I hope there's others here today. And we're going to offer an invitation now that one of the first steps of doing God's will is to say, God, I want to surrender my life to You. I want to receive You into my life. I know I'm not perfect, but You have made me perfect through Your death and resurrection on the cross. And now I want to become your child.